Okay. Welcome, everybody, to this 52 Travel Ideas. Minds, we are in the middle of our exploration entrepreneurs. this book. Join us as we evolving travel by continuously behind the psychology of series on the concept Ready of for takeoff. And today we are talking about illusion versus reality, which he frames, I think, just beautifully, poetically, and historically through the lens of the veils of Maya. And I think we've all been feeling that we are entangled in Maya today, as Jyoti put it. So that is definitely the theme of the day. But we are going to get started here today. We have a PowerPoint presentation. So if you haven't read the chapter, you can learn everything that you need to know. And it's also just a review if you did read along with us. After that, we're going to do breakout rooms. So we have the opportunity to discuss these ideas in smaller groups. And at the end, we will all come back, share our takeaways. We actually even have a, an interesting project for you guys to do during the breakout rooms today. So I'm going to be really curious to see everyone's responses to the little project we've got going on today. But let's begin with The Evolving Self by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So first, just a quick introduction even to the concept of flow. And if you're not familiar with this concept, we did a whole series on MC's original exploration of the concept of flow, the book that is called Flow, the, the Psychology of Optimal Experience. So you can go back to the YouTube page on 52 Living Ideas, check that out. But just uh, so we're all on the same page here, flow as defined by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. This is the state in which people are so involved and immersed in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. You might know this state as being in the zone if you've ever um, felt that experience. It's when action and awareness seem to merge, time passes strangely, your sense of self seems to disappear. And it generally is the state of peak performance and optimal experience for humans. And one of the key ideas that we talk about with flow is that it happens when there's a balance between challenges and skills. So when you're in that sweet spot where your skills meet the challenge, then you're in what we consider the, the flow channel and you're really able to access that, that state of both feeling your best and performing your best. So next, as I pointed out, the title of this chapter is The Veils of Maya. And so Marissa is even going to just take us through a quick little introduction of the concept of Maya and why this pertains to the theme of this chapter, which is all about illusion versus reality. Right. So um, in the chapter, he actually spent only about two seconds talking about the veils of Maya, what the veil of Maya was. And so I just wanted to explain to you. So it starts with this word Maya, right? What is Maya? Now, I don't have the um, expertise to know exactly what the word Maya means. It has a couple different meanings. It has a Sanskrit meaning. It has a different, slightly different meaning in Buddhism, but um, most of them are centered on the concept of illusion. So in Sanskrit, in general, they translate it to be that which is not or illusion. So that's kind of similar, right? And then there, the prevalent um, cultures that use it are Hindu, Buddhism, and the Greek mythology. So I just put for you guys here a little bit of um, details on what they all entails and a little bit of the, um, the stuff behind it. And, and what, I, what I see here 
is that you know there are ties to the religion of the times and our ancestry and what they're, they're showing you here is the idea of this is an unknown. So this is some type of a chaotic unknown that isn't quite exactly a well-defined thing. And so they're all, they're all a little different, but they give you that idea and the illusion. Um, Maya also is, can be a goddess in some, some cultures it is presented as a goddess. I'm not going to read these um, off for you here. I just, you know, it's been up on the screen just to give you guys um, an idea of what Maya itself is. So when we're talking Maya, so I would say in the book, he doesn't use Maya, the word Maya exclusively. He does use the word illusion or he does use the word veil. So let's just all of us know in the back of our mind for our purposes of what we're speaking here for the veils of Maya, Whenever we see um, MC using illusion or Maya or veil, it's the same concept. It's this intangible, not quite thing. That's what he's talking about, that we all have this thing. And it's something that it, and it presents to us often as something that appears to be one thing and may, may not exactly be that thing. Um, interesting um, thing here is that Schopenhauer actually also, um, a, whole, a lot of his um, works are shown to have heavy um, Hindu um, mythology influences. And um, so he has a concept of the veil of Maya that he goes down into um, in some depth as well. Once we understand a little bit what the word Maya is, then we go into the greater, the, the phrase veil of Maya. And here, what we're looking at is it's the idea that what we're viewing is not the real picture. It's not the full picture. So we have many senses at our disposal. So we tend to think that we see something. When we see an image, it's sharp, it's crystal clear. That's the image. It's like television. When you're looking at a television set, you see people moving on a screen. You see movement. So your brain tells you that there are people moving on the screen. In actuality, you're seeing a bunch of pixelated dots. But that's not how you view it. In your mind, there are people running across that screen. That's similar to what we're being told this veil of Maya is doing for us. No one is immune to, effect, to the effects of the veil of Maya. Because it is impossible for us to uh, obtain the, you know, this just concrete vision of what exactly is the absolute truth. We all do suffer a little bit from the effects of the veil. Um, and so I really like here this idea of, you know, if we're, if the goal here is to move forward with intention, you have to fight the veil of Maya, knowing that we all have that. And that is a barrier that we need to work towards. And we have to do it knowing that we will never win. You will never actually banish the veil of Maya, but it's okay. And as we go forward in this chapter, we're gonna see that what we're told here, we're not being told that you must take down this veil. We're just told that what you must do is acknowledge that it exists. So 
that's what I'm presenting here for you today. This concept of when we look at this concept of the veil of Maya, what we're looking at is our infallibility. The very fact that what, what we observe and we internalize as reality is not the reality. All right, moving on to the, the components of the chapter itself. Right. So the first section is going to introduce this idea of illusion versus reality. And I just want to remind you all that um, Maritza put a link to this presentation. So you, know, you don't have to read it all on the screen right now. Maybe you even just want to repost the link too, because I've noticed a couple of people have uh, since come on since you first posted it. So in the first section, uh, the major point here um, points out here on the slide, what we think and believe um, are not the true, the true, well, sorry. What we think and believe are not the true outlines of the world. Reality presents itself through a series of veils that distort what lies behind them. One must painstakingly match one's preconceptions against actual ongoing experience to begin separating truth from illusion. So as Maritza pointed out, this is never an endpoint that we're ever going to reach where we will ever be completely free from illusion, but it definitely is a path that we ought to be on to gain as much truth as we possibly can. And uh, in this chapter, we're going to see that he's going to talk about three different veils, three different areas that we ought to start paying attention to, which is going to be genes, culture, and the self, and how these three aspects of our experience can provide all kinds of illusions that we might have to break through in order to get a fuller picture of the truth. So looking here, the only one thing I want to point out, there's another um, page for this illusion and reality. But just the idea that we have internal factors that are going to um, allow us illusions, and then there's external factors. Did you want to say anything about this this second slide as well? I mean, I think we, we've kind of covered right that that it, we're going to look at you know the, the external forces of um, you know culture, and then you know, also from our genes and you know what's even happening within our own sense of self. Right. The the only one thing I would point out here is the third bullet. I think that's really a, like a key thing to remember as we're going through here. We're not being presented these things for us to throw our hands up and run in the opposite direction. That's also not the answer. So what, what we're told here, MC tells us that throwing away all of our cultural and societal norms, it's, that's also not the answer. So while you don't want to go forward um, in ignorance, thinking that what you see is all there is to see, you also don't want to now go forward assuming that everything you see is false. Strive for that happy medium, right? The world is not an either or type of place. There is a middle ground. Um, it's kind of like what we're doing as we're searching for flow, right? We're searching for the sweet spot. And that's what he's telling us. And I really like the, this, um, second, um, the second and third lines in that third bullet part. They come straight from the chapter. And I love that he's telling us the task for us today and by today, he means as we propel ourselves into our future is to separate the genuine insights of religions and philosophies from the inevitable errors that crept into their explanations. Um, I really like that because it says 
you know, what came before is not all garbage. So some of it bears walking with it as you move yourself forward. That's all I had. Let's go on to the first veil then, which is the world of the genes. Here, as it says, the major point is that evidence shows that how we experience the world is limited and structured by the chemical instructions encoded in the genes. Reflecting on the source of impulse, of habits, is the first step in getting control of one's psychic energy. Our survival will require that we better understand how we are manipulated by chemicals in the body. And uh, he points out here uh, that genetic instructions are generic, which I love, that, that they arose in situations that are different from the conditions that we often encounter in the modern world and that evolution really hasn't caught up with the society that we've built. And so that even some of these evolutionary habits and predispositions that we've developed, although they might've served a really important survival value in the past, we need to make sure that we are consciously evaluating them and making sure that they actually do still serve us in the present. Right, and here again, um, we're told that it's enough to recognize that you have these biases. So forgive yourself if you don't know what comes next. The very first step and the most crucial step is to acknowledge that the bias exists. So we'll go on next to the second veil, which is the world of culture. Here, the major point is that it is dangerous to take too seriously the picture of the world as painted by one's culture. A person who invests psychic energy exclusively in goals prescribed by society is forfeiting the possibility of choice and the individual's potential will be limited. And so here, as Maritza was even pointing out earlier, we don't want to necessarily throw out everything from culture because there are important truths and values that we can learn from our ancestors. But we also want to be aware that what, what has been established in our culture is not the entirety of the truth. I think we're even going to make a lot of really interesting connections here with this group, with uh, discussions that we've had about form and function. At least when I was reading this, I, you know, I was seeing all of this discussion of culture as, as this example of the forms that we have been gifted by the cultures that have come before us, but that we still need to dial back to the initial functions to make sure that we are not trapped by just dead forms. Um, and one point here that I really like, um, and he makes here, it's one of the bullet points, uh, says excessive identification with a particular worldview inevitably leans to blindness to other cultures and eventually to hostility toward the other and blinds us to larger realities. And I think this is really just a, an important point of how, how we can go really drastically wrong uh, with culture that, uh, you know, and this maybe even connects to a genetic tendency that, um, that impels us to want to associate with a tribe, but there's obviously real problems. Well, there's benefits to having your tribe and your community. There's also real problems if that then means that you regard 
all other cultures as the other. And you're not able to perhaps see the value that you can get from interacting and trading and learning from those cultures as well. Yes. And I, I just want to piggyback off of that concept of, you know, the cautionary tale here is that if we immerse ourselves too much in our um, identification with our cultures, our societies, what happen is, happens is now we're, we're looking exclusively in terms of us versus them. And when you do that, again, it's polarizing. And when you're polarizing, you're, you're stuck in this either or mentality, which does not allow for the inclusion and the adhesive and cohesiveness that would make for a better path forward. And one more point, even just piggyback on what Maritza said about the first steps in what helps us overcome the veils of Maya of the veil of the genes. Similarly with culture too, the first step here is even just having that awareness of needing to go beyond whatever it is that you've been handed by your particular cultural heritage. I love this line at the end here that says, it is liberating to question the description of reality of one's culture and especially those presented by the media. It is enough to raise questions, even just within the confines of one's mind. So again, just that that is the first step of awareness, that there's more to reality than what you've just been given by your particular current culture. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of that. Okay, one, just really quickly, because like, what we're talking about in this book, The Evolving Self, remember that what we're trying to do is be better about control of our consciousness. And this here is a great sentence because the idea of asking questions to oneself, we don't usually think of ourselves as engaging upon any type of improvement when we're sitting in a room by ourselves talking to ourselves. And yet there is benefit and value to questioning things, even just yourself. And the nice thing about that is that it takes a different type of courage to do that than it does to do it in public. And so that's a great first step. So lastly, we're gonna go on to the third veil, which is the veil of the self. And in this section, Maritz and I are even gonna go beyond what was presented in the chapter because we both agreed in the section as it is in the book, he really is focusing on the potential pitfalls and the illusions that can arise from the self. And that's definitely an important point and something that we need to have awareness of. But the book after all is called The Evolving Self. And we really wanna make sure that we make time to think about how it is that the self actually does evolve, how it is that we go beyond the illusions and the veil of Maya with the self and build a better self. And we even wanted to connect that with ideas that we've learned about flow, even from the, the previous initial book. But starting off here, the major point, uh, as it says here, while the self brought the gift of personal freedom, it also spun another veil, the illusion of the selfhood or ego. Once an ego is present, its foremost goal becomes that of protecting itself at all costs. At this point in history, it should be possible for an individual to build a self that is a conscious, personal creation, not just an outcome, of biological drives. Um, and the, the, the important point I thought here was um, 
says here, like the more the ego becomes identified with symbols outside the self, the more vulnerable it is. To prevent its annihilation, the ego forces us to be constantly on the watch for anything that might threaten the symbols on which it relies. And here, this is a, the way that he's using the term ego. I, I see him using the concept to refer to that you know, potentially destructive tendency we have to be all defensive about our current state of development and that when we fall back into that defensive mode as he says here by identifying even with symbols outside the self that we're just uh, creating a self that is vulnerable and that's precisely the thing that we want to triumph over we want to create a self as he points out here that is a conscious personal creation did you want to say more about uh the dangers of the self here before we, we kind of get into um, what we can learn from the slow sorry. book. Um, maybe the, um, the only thing I would point out here is that again, this concept of polarization and the cautionary tale against it. You know, when you're looking at it from the self versus the culture, you're looking at good versus bad. And there's actually, there is a um, Marcus Aurelius quote in this chapter, which is, phenomenal because what it does for us is it gives us the, um, I like it from the perspective of it's like the idea of not, um, you know, not embracing too tightly the fact that some things are good and some things are bad. Um, I'm going to move on because I don't have the quote I outlined right now. So I, I will read it to you guys in a minute. We'll go on to the next slide. First. Yeah, let's go on to even how we actually build a better self um, with, with just some, some insights that we get uh, from the flow book. So um, anyways, it says here in the, the book flow, MC calls attention, um, the, the concept of attention, psychic energy. And so much of that book is about how we are intentional about our attention, about our psychic energy. It says here, because attention determines what will or will not appear in our consciousness, and because it is also required to make any other mental states, such as remembering, thinking, feeling, and decision-making happening, um, you know, it, it's useful to pay attention to that. Um, and also here, um, you know, th this idea of, um, you know, the ideal self for evolution, uh, uh, you know, relies on going beyond what I would call like a scarcity mindset and really starts focusing on what is unique about the self and the experiences. And you create something that on the one hand has both greater individuality because you're focused on your own potentials for self-becoming and self-expression, um, but you also identify with humanity as a whole. And that really is more the goal of the kind of self that we want to evolve toward. Um, and as Marissa points out, you know, it, it's not an either or, it really is a both and of more specifically unique to who you are and who you uniquely can become. And that self that is also then identified with common humanity. Right, and I like, I, I wanted to point out the idea of, you know, this attention and psychic energy because, you know, when you when you hear psychic energy and that's what um, uh, MC actually uses in this chapter, he uses the word psychic energy, it, it detracts from the very simple concept that where you're putting your attention is what you're consciously focusing on. 
which seems a very simple concept, but it's very easy to forget that. And so basically the idea here is keep in mind or notice those things which you apply the most attention because those are the things that are shaping your path forward. So if you're spending all of your attention on something that maybe is, you know, like junk food for the soul, right? Maybe your, your forward movement is going to take a different path than what you're hoping it would take. So that's just something to be aware of here. And everything else on this page is a little bit more positive. I tried to pull out the pieces within the chapter that are saying, these are the things that we want if we're looking to reshape that self into a self that's growing and flowing forward. Um, and I had to, we had to pull them out because he really does spend a lot of time telling you all of the pitfalls and the negatives. So I, I just want you guys to have a little concise section of all the, the good things you can do because even though they're expressed like in grandiose ideas, you know, it's very, it's the idea of being satisfied with what's unique about your experience. You know, it's something that we can take into a corner and ponder. You know, it's, it gives you like just new, something new to chew on as it were. Um, and then lastly, you know, just to connect us again with the concept of flow, the, the flow book was all about how it is that we build a life full of happiness. And here you know, in that book, MC points out to us that the key to happiness is how we invest our psychic energy, how we invest our attention. When we focus our attention on a consciously chosen goal, our psychic energy literally flows in the direction of that goal, resulting in a reordering and harmony within consciousness. This is an important thought to keep foremost in mind when considering the world of the self and how to nourish a self that can evolve. And so again, this is the idea that through flow, we build more complex selves. This was, this was an idea that we talked about with the challenge skills balance, that it, 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 that, that concept is a forward moving progression because once you develop certain skills to meet a challenge, if you don't keep on developing your skills, you know that challenge will no longer be challenging for you, and you'll you know fall off into boredom. So there, there's a constant process of needing to continually develop your skills, develop yourself into a more complex and thus more unique self. And this is part of the building blocks of how we create a more satisfying life. And also, ultimately, I think we're going to see in this book how we're going to build a more evolved self. I'm gonna go ahead and read that second bullet because I think mm -hmm. everything on this page is worth um, shining a spotlight. Mm -hmm. People who lead a satisfying life, who are in tune with their past and with their future are generally individuals who have lived their lives according to rules they themselves created. They understand their motives and their limitations. They have carved out a small freedom of choice. It is this kind of self that will make survival into the third millennium possible. So the, to me, that is really, really strong sentiment. The idea that by understanding your own motives, 
and your limitations. And they don't necessarily have to be negative limitations. The, the idea of um, having you know, genetic instructions, all of us humans have genetic instructions. That's a limitation. And yet you don't have to you know, totally figure out how to fix that limitation in order to move forward and to do something that is of your choosing because you can say, yes, you know, my studies of my inner makeup show that my testosterone levels are really high for somebody within my parameters. So that means technically because of these hormones, I have just this, these um, urges that my genetic makeup are pushing me towards. But I am going to wake up every morning and I'm going to choose to go left when my genes are telling me to go right. So if in doing that, you are making that decision. And when you are making that decision, you're giving yourself the small freedom of choice. So within the realm of those things that you can control, you are controlling them and wielding them in the direction you seek to wield and not getting stuck on all the things that are outside of your control because there is a lot of stuff within our genetic makeup and within our cultural glue that we, we ourselves cannot truly control or change. But if you acknowledge it, it gives you the space even just acknowledgement gives you the space to turn your attention elsewhere and to move forward. And when you move forward, you're not just floating because you had to stop and consider those things that you cannot um, change and still move past them. That's doing so with intention. And I think that that's the, the beauty of all of this thinking. Like the reason that we're considering this is that we're just shining a spotlight on all of those things that are usually in the background. But the thing is, is that all of those things in the background, they're affecting your decisions. They're affecting what you're doing. And if you're not aware that they exist, then there's a piece missing to your decision-making. And that's what I believe um, a MC is telling us here in this chapter that, you know, and I, I see here too, what I really like the idea of you know, who are in tune with their past and with their future. So, you know, you guys have all heard me say before, you know, we walk with, we, I mean, we, we're stepping on the backs of our ancestors. We are. What they did for us, we, we can't get away from it. There's no way to 100% removing yourself. Doesn't matter how logical you are or how much you would like to, it's not going to happen. What the ancestors did for you, they, they, it's coming along in some way, shape, or form. And he's telling us that those ways, shapes, and forms are even more tangential and pervasive than we in general tend to remember. Um, and so um, this idea, and I told um, Joya this right before you guys all joined us, was that this chapter, this piece of the chapter, the world of the self, this is where we begin that exploration of the title, right? So the evolving self, that's the name of the book. Here we're presented, this is the beginning. We've been setting you up 
I know it took three chapters, right? Well, it's gonna take another two before we start to untangle that. So we have here two more chapters as we're doing the history in the background before we really start to sink our teeth into the measures for this involvement. So this is the taste. This is still, we're still in the setting up thing. I just felt that this section, we really needed to tie it in to the ideas um, that we um, looked at with um, flow because it, this is here, this is the point where it starts connecting. Before we were just like sketching the outline. Um, and I really can see after having read this chapter, me personally, now it makes a little more sense. Cause honestly, the first two chapters, I was like, I'm not quite seeing the corollary yet with flow. Here I am. What, what he's saying is that the, if we are making sure we're within that sweet spot of skills versus challenges, if we do that, acknowledging all these veils that we have that are moving with us, it'll help shape us. Because you know, as you're, when you're in that flow state, you actually have no self, which I find to be a fascinating thought, right? So when you are in flow state, state you have no self. And yet, when you come out of flow state, you are improving the self. So the thing here is that if we're trying to get this type of self, where we're among those people who lead a satisfying life, we have to find ways to enter into that flow state where we have no self, because it's only through the destruction or I mean, the destruction of your existing self that you can, um, that it grows. It's kind of like a snake, I guess. It kind of has to shed its skin and then come back to be bigger and better, right? So that's, um, those are my thoughts on this um, section here. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa. I think that, that was beautifully said. So we're going to go to the breakout rooms now. And we actually have a special breakout session planned because we have a, kind of two parts. We're going to have a discussion and then also an exercise for you to do. I think I'm even going to give everybody uh, like an extra you know, five minutes for the session. So we have time for everything. So first, we want you to have a discussion about the ideas of the chapter, these three bales of Maya, the three illusions that we talked about, genes, culture, self-distortions, and you know, talk through with your group maybe how some of these, uh, you know, have you recognized them in your own life? Um, you have you recognized these in your own life? Uh, maybe, maybe some of these more than others. Others. Um, you know, as we said, you know, awareness is even the first step for overcoming these limitations. So, you know, through the group, just to have that discussion to raise awareness of the ways that these illusions can can impact us from developing our, our full selves. And then afterwards, um, I guess I'd say uh, maybe at um, like on the hour at this point, um, we can just switch and have you guys try this exercise exercise that MC actually proposes in the book itself. And so this is the exercise that, that he uh, recommends. So he says, if you were to represent the self by drawing a series of five or 10 concentric circles, like a bullseye, with the one in the center representing that which is most essentially you, how would you label the circles? What would you write in the middle one? A value, a quality, a possession, a relationship? So again, with this idea that 
conscious awareness is the first step of how we're going to build a, a more evolved self to just take stock of where you are currently at personally and draw this bullseye. Think about those elements that you consider to be essential to your self-conception. And, um, you know, and maybe try to answer at least this, this question of what would you put in that bullseye? You know, is it a value, a quality, a possession, a relationship? What is it that is most you about you, uh, at least at this time? So I will get the breakout rooms um, started so that, again, you can um, you know, go through all of the discussions first here. And then, as I said, um, you know, on the hour, maybe, or shortly thereafter, uh, you know, just switch over to, um, you know, just taking some time to maybe draw this bullseye and think about uh, what you put in the center for yourself. All right, so I will get the breakout rooms started now. All right, it looks like everyone's coming back. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hopefully you all have hey, some gonna... really productive Going discussions. Up? Yeah, Marissa? Yep. I think I might ask to go rogue for a moment. Okay. I don't know about your group, but I did not walk our group into a great time management um, experiment. <laughs> so what I would like to do, since there's not but so many of us here, can we ask everyone, and you don't have to if you don't want to, but um, I would ask everyone to give us one word for what they would put in their middle circle. If you give me one word, you don't even have to say it out loud. You can put it in the chat. I'm just curious. I would love to hear what's that. If you can only pick one, what's the one you would pick? You want to go first? Yep. Right when our breakout ended, it was right the moment that Maritza asked me that question. I said, I don't know if I could choose one. And I got transferred <laughs> to this room. Right. Good timing, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For me, I would put honesty. If I could only put one thing in the middle that was most essentially me, that value would be the value I would put. Honesty. Um, Jyoti says love. Mm-hmm. Come on, folks, don't be shy. We don't bite. I'll tell you, mine is Joy. I think you guys know Joy is uh, my chosen name. And I always think of it, you know, he asked like, is it a value? Is it a possession? Is it a relationship? Mine, I always think of as a question and a pursuit. And it's the pursuit of joy. Nice. And Linda, Linda says the pursuit of art. I love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the advocacy of art, which- art? Yeah, I, well, that's true. Actually, she does say art advocacy. Marco mm -hmm. says product productivity. Maybe I think he says productivity is a center. Mm -hmm. And Maybe. individuation. Ooh. I like it. I like it. <laughs> you still can't choose. Give us one. And Joe said self. Not easy, okay. <laughs> At least not for me. Yes, and Nizzy puts creativity. I'm gonna take away her maybe. I'm gonna give her a definite creativity. <laughs> <laughs> Sense of humor, Jeff. I like it. That's yeah. a, so remember this inner circle concentric means you know it's kind of like a Venn diagram. So the inner cir circle is what is most you. So most Jeff is sense of humor. I love it. Well, it, it's it's in the spirit of don't take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. 
And Joe is going to take himself super seriously. Yes. So his self is going to be self. Joe, I think yourself should be self with a capital S. Thank you. And that's everybody. Yay. Everybody participated. I love it. We have... Wait, so I want to have... know Anton's two though. Anton said he had two. Oh, wait, Anton, yes, you have to give us both. I want to know what the two are. You have two selves. I... <laughs> At least. Maybe. Uh, yeah, um, but I think I, might, I think I might know which one. Be the... I know you don't like the word might. <laughs> but no, no, two... you're fine. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. I'm kind of teasing you. But the two are, it's either between, uh, Joy, I said enjoyment or authenticity, honesty. You said honesty. It's, it's between so those we're gonna, two. So we're going to take authenticity. So here's what we have, guys. Ourselves are pretty awesome. I'm going to draw this and show it to you next time. So we have, for our sensor selves, we have joy, honesty, creativity, self with a capital S, authenticity, individuation, art advocacy, productivity, sense of humor, and love. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What a beautiful group we are. I think all those, all those points which have been proffered, they all get covered in individuation. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, you could probably find a little bit of all of them in some of the others. So yes, if you guys would um, feel like doing the homework, um, it would be interesting. And you don't have to show it to anyone. It might be interesting for yourself to go and do that exercise. Now that you have your middle circle, now you just have to figure out the rest of the circles that overlap. Might be fun if you get bored. Mm -hmm. If you have color pencils, make it pretty. Might have gotten some inspiration from uh, some <laughs> of the suggestions from the group. <laughs> yes. All right. Sorry, Joya. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. No, I, I liked the rogue uh, off to shoot here. Yeah, but we'll get back to um, what we normally do here, which is collecting your questions and your takeaways. Um, so we'll start even, you know, just anybody who wants to bring up a question for the group, uh, you know, I'll, I'll collect all the questions. We'll try to go through as many as we can. And then also your takeaways. I'm, I'm you know, we did the fun part first, but I'm also curious to hear some of your thoughts about your own personal struggles with, with some of these veils of Maya that we've talked about. So again, um, you can uh, put exclamation point in the chat. Um, you can raise, use the raise your hand function here on Zoom. And uh, we'll start taking your, your questions. Unless maybe nobody has any questions. Maybe we've all um, pierced the veils of Maya and dispelled no, the illusion. I have questions. No okay. one else does. I have questions. All right, Maritza, you can go first and then Joe. No, we have Joe. We'll let Joe go first. Okay, Joe first, then Maritza. Um, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that is the idea of developing habits that we talked about a little bit. Uh, and I don't say I didn't read the chapter, so uh, you know that that's kind of an issue with me. But um, maybe he actually covers in how to develop our heuristics uh, in order to make good judgments. I think would be like uh, an interesting thing. Like, uh, so essentially, how do we, how are habits, how do we develop good habits in order to form our good judgments in, uh, in 
make wise decisions because that's kind of critical if we're actually going to three, see through our sensory experiences as they're talking about with this idea of Maya. So. I think that's an excellent question. And it is not something that he got to in the chapter. He was even at that point um, talking more about the, the, the kinds of habits that people fall into because of their genetic predispositions. But he did not get into your question, which is, you know, what are the positive habits that we can develop that precisely that, that help us to evolve better selves? So I, I like that question a lot. Uh, so Marissa, you wanted to share a question or two as well? Oh, I'm, I'll go after others. Um, let's um, let Anton answer. Ben is next. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know whether or not I'll give the reason why I'm asking this question. I'm kind of just curious what, what people have to say. So is there a paradox to self, the concept of self or what self is? I think that's an intriguing question. Do, do you, I'm curious, do you think there is a paradox? Um, the reason why, this is one of the things I realized with uh, something that Maritza said during the presentation, uh, but it's also something that like I tend to bounce back and forth like in, in my awareness of it is um, when you let go of the self is when it seems like it's easiest to improve or be a healthy version of self. You let go of the identification of it, you see? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a paradox to me. Yeah. I like that question. All right, Maritza, you are next. And my question was, how do we balance this questioning of these veils upon what we perceive to be reality? How do we balance that with other individuals? So the question, you know, how do we bring that from this overarching realm of each of us considering the, um, you know, how we shift this veil or acknowledging that these veils exist, how do we now look at other people's veils and how it shapes and affects our interactions with them? Ooh, I, I like that one. I think let's start with that one, uh, since that one even seems to get right to the heart of the question of the veils. And, and I will suggest, so, um, you know, along with, I think most of you all, I have not read this book yet. I'm, I'm, this is my first time reading it and, and walking through it all with you. But my sense is that that is what the next chapter is going to be all about, because the title of the next chapter is Predators and Parasites, which perhaps suggests all of the ways that uh, other people, when they are lost in their veils, can have really negative effects on, you know, each other. Um, but, but I'm curious to even hear more like your, your own kind of thoughts about this question and maybe it'll even help prepare us to think more deeply about the, the next chapter. And then- and Take um, heart guys. I think we only have to get through chapter five and then it gets a little more positive. Yes. Doom and gloom for two more chapters. But come April, smooth sailing. <laughs> I think it gets better. I think it gets better guys. It does no get promises because I haven't read the chapters. Well, I, I no, but 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 I think even we can see the the outline of where we're going is that you know, and it makes sense. We have to talk about the limitations and the obstacles and the problems that get in our way first, and then we'll get to the positive things. And so I think similarly, that's how we're even going to approach these questions here. We're going to start with your question about you know how we deal with other people's veils and illusions. Then we'll maybe talk about the paradox of self, and then I think we'll end. Um, 
trying to answer Joe's question of how we can develop the positive habits that will, will make us better people. Oh, and uh, Jyoti asked for the name. And so then the specific name of this book is The Evolving Self, um, The Psychology for the Third Millennium. He wrote this uh, you know, in the late 90s, shortly after the original flow book. And, and it really is meant to be a sequel to that flow book. Um, and, and describe precisely, uh, you know, kind of how we go beyond just, you know, creating happiness for ourselves to putting it into sort of a broader picture of evolution and culture and society. So are you sharing a PDF or link or something? Is it online? So the book itself, um, I mean, you can find the book, um, you know, at all kind of various um, you know, booksellers or even is an audible version or an audiobook version for this one. Um, and then what we do, um, you'll see like Maritza um, will always share with you guys. I think she just put it up again, a copy of the presentation. So we try to go through the book every time and just pull out a lot of the key points to give you that, that summary if you're not able to access or, or read the book. Um, I don't know if there's a version available online for free, unfortunately. Uh, but we do our I'm best to at least, you know, give you the, the, the important points of the, the content. Uh, I think somebody's put out in the chat that there's a free version, an audio version. So would you share the link? Yeah, Anton, if you can um, find that link I and share it for yeah. other people. That'd be wonderful, yeah. It doesn't, the only thing is it doesn't list the chapters. You just have to know where the chapters are, but it's on YouTube, I could post a link maybe. Oh, and I like Jeff's comment here too, that he's personally hoping that everything is going to be better by April. I will totally agree with that. If if, if it kind of works that, uh, that, that this sort of bad section of the MC book times up with a sort of bad period with what we're going through in the world and then we break through to something more positive in April, I think that would be very good indeed. All right, but why don't we get to, um, I, I'm curious even for Marissa to expand on her, her question first with some of her thoughts about um, you know, how we, we think about, you know, the, the individual struggles with the veils of Maya and then how this impacts our relationships with others. So I'm going to apologize to those of you in my group because, you know, now you're going to hear repeats a little bit. So my thought process, and I'm still kind of wrapping my mind around this, is I, I believe that what we're being told here in this chapter is that if you're looking at it from a perspective of relationships, if you have, if you do find yourself in a relationship where it's not a simple, I'm going to get away from this person and keep on moving. If it's somebody with whom you do have to interact, I believe the first step and the way that we can use some of this intentionality that we've been looking at here with MC is that you sit yourself down in a corner and have a chat with yourself, ask yourself, what is it about this person that I'm reacting to? Or what's happening that's making me react? What is their reaction? Are there ways that I can mitigate this reaction? Sometimes just being aware of it can um, break that cycle because you weren't aware. So for example, I am a lifelong nail biter. It's a nervous tick. I don't even know I'm doing it. By the time I realize that I'm chewing my nails out of nervousness, they're just, they're down, right? But what I can do is if I try to ask myself, was I chewing my nails today? 
if I can get into the habit of asking myself if I was doing it, I actually can break the cycle. And then they grow and they look pretty and then I'll fall off the wagon again. But the, that makes me think of, that's a small physical thing, right? And I only have myself to deal with. Because I stem from the belief that you cannot change anyone. You can't change their mind. You can't change the way they, they move. You cannot change their actions. Well, then if you're looking at a relationship between two people and you can't change that person, what are your options? Change yourself. So how would I possibly change myself if it's Susie Q? She's the problem person. I am wonderful and fabulous. Every time I interact with Susie, she just brings out the devil in me. But it's not my fault. It's her fault. Sure, I'm nasty to her, but she's asking for it. Sure. That makes perfect sense, right? Naturally, perfect. So, but when you go into the corner and you have the chat with yourself and it's just a really honest, brutal, brutally honest conversation with yourself, what am I reacting to? And it might be something that you're not even conscious about. And it might be, well, really it's, it's just the tone. She sounds like, what my third grade teacher did and I couldn't stand my third grade teacher. And if you can identify, and if these are like, again, I am not a therapist. So I'm not putting out real problems here for you with real solutions. So I'm trying to give you hypotheticals. If you're in that situation where it's two people, right? And it could be a bigger group. If you can identify what the triggers are, what is it that you are reacting to? So A, what is your reaction? And what are you reacting to? When you what you're doing there is you're flipping the switch. Instead of focusing on the fact that the relationship is causing you angst or that it's a toxic relationship or that so-and-so is A, B, or C things, if instead you're focusing solely on yourself and trying to identify what are your reactions? What are you reacting to? What you're doing now is you are trying to identify where it is that you are leaking psychic energy. Where's my attention going? Because you have limited, right? Remember, psychic energy, it can be used up. So if you're spending all of this energy on this interaction, and it's not a good one, or it's not productive, or it's not helpful to that forward moving path, which is what you want. How do you identify that? I think it starts from within. I really think that the best way to do that is by identifying within yourself, where am I leaking psychic energy? Where is my attention focusing erroneously? We cannot control what the second person or people in that interaction are gonna do are doing, have done. You can only control your actions. And if you're finding that you keep reacting a certain way, the key there is to identify that and see what you can do to make it better. Because you can't change them, but maybe you can change yourself and it'll affect you less. So those are my two cents, Joya. Well, really, maybe like 10 cents. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that was a lot more than two cents. Hi, these guys. <laughs> but, but well appreciated. It looks like Jyoti has something to say next. 
I agree with you, Maritza. I'm working on this with a very close relative of mine. And I, like you, what you suggested, I'm very introspective. I know this is happening and I cannot spend my psychic energy in this kind of a thing. And I go past it and we have a good relationship otherwise. But there will be instances, they will pop up, which will say, which will remind me, geez, she has not changed. I'm trying to be, go around, the, around it, go above it, go beyond it, but she keeps bringing me back to it. And it is a struggle. She does not know I'm struggling with it because my behavior with her is so like it used to be and it will be. Um, but it's, it's a struggle, even though I know I shouldn't be spending my energy on this because I know I can't change her. That's why she is going on with it because she does not know that she's doing this to me. She does not know that, but, uh, but she is doing it. So it's a, it's a very slippery slope that you know it, you go past it, and then you have some good days, and then you go back to it, and then you come back with it. And some days in a very nice way, I'm able to explain to this, per, to, uh, to this relative of mine that how her thinking is so different than mine. And yet, you know, I'll go back to it. And it's really a process. And I think it's going to be, it is, it has been a lifelong process for me before I didn't realize it. And then I, when I realized it and it will carry on and we are both old now, we are not young anymore. And we both are like standing on our last leg. And that's what <laughs> makes me say that, come on, Jody, until your last minute, you're just going to think about it, let it go, you love her. So just let it be. But I'm telling you, it is a <laughs> very monumental task. <laughs> Thank you, Marissa, but you're on the right track. That's how it should be. Do you want us to respond there, Marissa, or uh, Joe has something to say next? I've talked enough. Let's let Joe go. I'll be brief. Uh, you know, I, I just think this is actually doing the internal work and kind of looking through the, again, the sensory uh, information that we're being fed into our minds and how we look at the world and how we understand the world. So how do we look at it then rationally? And then we actually look at our ego and how to separate ourselves from our ego is essentially what we're working on. Uh, and I think there is an antidote to this. I, do, I think that um, it's a bit biased, but I think the dichotomy of control actually works quite well here where you clearly just say what is in your control, what is not in your control. And uh, that's the first step of identifying, uh, you know, what, what, how do you then manage your character? So we're talking about here, you're managing your personal character, not someone else's. So I think that that's kind of getting to the, you know, a lot. Of, and you see a lot of this, a lot of stoic and even CBT type of write, writing and uh, whatever I've read of, uh, of MC, I'm like I can. We'll never try to pronounce his name, uh, but um, but nonetheless, uh, it, I think that there's even things today. He, I saw on one of the slides the idea of even our value judgments of what we label as good or bad, 
um, and things along those lines. Uh, those are value judgments and you need to actually separate yourself from those in order to say, so then you're not actually reacting. So it's, you're just looking at it as is objectively. Um, so th these are some behavioral techniques that we can always implement. Uh, and, and it does help us see through the, the sensory experience that, that Maya gets to, uh, although I'm not too well schooled with Maya, I just know that it's related to Brahman and Natman. So, uh, you know, from the Bhagavad Gita, but uh, um, perhaps somebody else can explain that a little bit better than myself, but that, that would be my, my uh, comment on that. Uh, I like to jump in here and I have listened to Jyoti and Joe uh, and Marisha. Yes. So um, I'd like to say that it is a very difficult uh, scenario. And if it's lifelong that you have to keep up with that person because like you're connected, right? And um, so when we speak about like, Many people said honesty and authenticity as in the circle. So in such kind of a relationship, I feel when we have to keep up, you know, in spite of whatever differences, then an inauthenticity creeps into the situation. And you cannot help that because you cannot tell your truths to that person. It's a huge Herculean task and the other person's not going to change. So you have to keep up with where that person is and keep up a formal, pleasant relationship, right? Uh, and overlook much which irks you, right? And uh, so, and it involves a lot of psychic energy that is being expended. Uh, so I think a situation you can respect that person, yeah? And, uh, but it's very difficult to like that person and to spend an ex extended amount of time with that person. So boundaries come into place, right? And uh, so with boundaries and a bit of inauthenticity, I would say. So when we term a value as good or bad um, is something that we draw lines and we say this is black and white, but there are all these gray areas. So in, in this relationship, you will be a bit dishonest you'll be a bit inauthentic and you'll you'll just smile and and play your role and and keep up with the relationship and uh, you know along with all the internal work that you are doing but you don't want to spend too much of psychic energy here and and that's how the relationship goes on with with respect on the table inauthenticity on the table and a bit of dishonesty, but a lot of pleasantness which comes with these and, and a carry on with the relationship. Yeah. So I, I am going to um, jump in here and I'd like to explain a little bit the way I would view a situation like that. So I am going to respectfully disagree a little bit with some of what you're saying here. Um, and the reason being, and again, not an expert, this is, this is my opinion. Um, my thought here is that the important thing is being true to oneself. So I value, so my, my middle circle, right, was honesty. So for me, the idea of being honest, dishonest in any relationship, it causes a dissonance. But then I hear your, I hear the relationship you've presented and you're saying, 
you don't have a choice. This is somebody you must deal with. So then it makes me wonder, well, how do I reconcile this? And my thought process here is that if one of my concentric circles is respect, that means my highest, my middle most is honesty. But if respect is also in that bubble, it means I have to find a way for those interactions. You know, I have to find a way to be respectful while still honoring my innermost value of honesty. And that might be that my interactions with this person, there's very little said because I, it's not a lie to not share information. If I know that this person is, has an intolerance for some of my worldviews, Joe brought up for us the idea of the locus of control, right? The dichotomy of control. And so what Joe is telling us, Joe is saying, if you acknowledge and recognize those things that are outside of your control, don't try to change them or wield them in any direction. Focus on those things you can control. So let's look here back at this relationship that um, uh, Janaita was um, telling us. She's saying this interaction that is has to be, I have to have this interaction, but this person really is not a pleasant, it's not a pleasant interaction, but you can't control what the other person is doing, saying, what you can control and you also can't control entirely the emotion that it, it that bubbles up in you. You can't control the emotion that ha- that bubbles up. What you can control is how you react to that emotion. Are you going to, if resentment bubbles up, are you going to lash out? You're a thinking creature. You can stop yourself from lashing out. That's within your control. Stopping the desire to yell in general, we can, we're, we're human, right? We're valuable, but in general, we can stop it. So when I'm thinking again, and this is for me, because for me, I really had a hard time with the idea of saying, I have to be a little dishonest. I refuse to be a little dishonest in almost any of my interactions with people. It makes for a very small group of friends, let me tell you. But that's, that's me personally. So if I were looking at that, I would try to find a way to not be dishonest. And my thinking here is, then I just won't share because I know this person is not receptive. We'll just, I'll say less. Um, I'll interact with them less. Maybe I can get away with checking in via telephone because then I can't see their face or they can't see my face. So I can look like I'm sucking on sour grapes and they'll have no idea. Um, I don't know if that's, that's an answer in any direction, but I would choose if I were forced to endure a negative interaction I would find ways to mitigate without the dishonesty factor. Um, Marco, go ahead. Um, no, I, you know, probably everyone like sort of like goes through that, like, you know, waiting to find a response to something, um, you know, responding to an emotion rather, rather than reacting. But I was just thinking like, you know, for me in the future, like, and I was just sharing, like, just counting to 10 before reacting, like, yeah, I thought, like, I would just share that. That's, that's it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think, I think that's a great strategy, you know, that, that 
that, that question of how do you create the space between your, your response and then the way you actually react. I think, I think Marissa has a great point. And what I even hear what Marissa is saying is even how I can hear how for her, it even starts with self-honesty. And there's a whole lot of truths to be pulled out. The, the truth of what you actually feel. And then the truth of knowing that just because you, you feel a certain way, doesn't mean you need to lash out with that negative emotion. And then, you know, just trying to balance that self-honesty with how you actually interact with, with the other person. Um, but it looks like Jyoti has something to say here, um, and then Anton as well after Jyoti. Yeah, um, Maritza, I'm like you in many ways. I like to be very honest in my interactions, and I tried when we were younger, um, when I was younger too. <laughs> I did try to explain to her that how her thinking, which she thinks is correct thinking, whatever it is, is not helping me. That's what I said. It's not helping me. How you think about my situations, my crisis, my problems, your reactions to my problems or my crisis are not helping me. And she didn't think that I would have a problem with it. So then I stopped saying it to her. I said, you know what? This is her, the best honest answer I could have given her before I could get hurt more than what I have been getting hurt with. But then as I'm getting older and my relationship with her is so close and I cannot now keep bringing to her attention and how in what way it is hurting me. So my, now what Janeta said, in certain instances, in certain relationships, you just have to pick the two, honesty or, and what I'm doing with her is not dishonest, but I'm like, okay, very indifferent. I'm not being dishonest with her. I'm just being indifferent to her comments, her reactions. And part of it is also because I stopped telling her my problems. <laughs> I do not, I don't think she is capable of handling them. Let's put it this way. So why tell? But every so often something will come up and I would say something to her and then her reaction would be the same as it had been in the past. And I say, see this, you did it to yourself. Why did you have to tell her? Because if you want to keep yourself away from feelings of hurt, then you just forget it. Don't tell her. I mean, yeah, she's very close to you and you have some expectations that this is a family. I should, you know, let the person in the family know about it. But if the family cannot help you, then so be it. But I want to meet the relation, to keep up with my relationship is more important than to keep telling her, this is not right. This is not how you should be reacting to my situation. Let it be. Okay. Well, I mean, because that's not within your control, right? No, and honestly, no. we can't tell people how to react. I mean, they're right. going to react. The yeah. Right. So it's it's outside of the, the realm of things you can control. So you need not concern yourself about them. You can yeah. all steal that from Stoics. I think will be the better for it. Yeah. And I would also say here at this point, like being identified with any belief, you know, and there's no right and wrong. So being identified with something like honesty, 
That means your ego is playing a role here. You identified that I am honest and, I, and under no circumstances can I be dishonest, not even a trace of dishonesty. So here it's again an illusion. It's, it's like Maya that you're so identified with your honesty. So I just like to place that on the table, yeah. Thank Fantastic you. Point. Yes, that is a great yes. point to bring up. Um, and I'm just going to note here that uh, Jeff is bringing his um, core sense of humor to the group, uh, noticing, ha, 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 it was wild and crazy for a minute, then solved, then not really solved, then solved, and then maybe not really solved. And that that's part of even what we've been learning here, right? That we have these illusions and these distortions, and our goal is to try to keep growing through them and become better versions of ourselves, but we're never going to pierce through all the illusions and the distortions. Uh, it looks like Anton has something to say here next. Yeah, I think um, that is a good point, <laughs> even if it threw a wrench in some things that people were saying, what Janetta just said about, um, I, I think it depends on what it is that the ego or whatever word you want to use can attach to even honesty. Sometimes I'm convinced that the ego can attach to anything, in, in, even things that are good. So you can have an egoic version of that. But I'm definitely on board with what Maritza is saying and Jody's saying. Uh, it's helped me with a couple of family members, one of them especially that like, um, I think you can, for one thing, like honesty, authenticity, either one you want to use is at least one of my core values. But um, I realize, like Maritza was saying, that you can be selective about what you say with certain people. So I can still say something truthful, but I can be selective because I know where it's going to go with certain people. So it's like, so I just won't even... Uh, I won't even bother. Like that's helped me with certain, I used to engage. I, there's a family member I still struggle with that with, but like I'm always much more calm and, and much more willing to handle it when it's just like, I'll just pick and choose what I say. I can set boundaries if I need to and then leave it alone as much as I can. So yeah, those are the thoughts I have. Uh, I have one more point. Uh, listening to Jeff, Jeff has got sense of humor in his core circle. So I think in such kind of situations, honesty, dishonesty, and difficult situation, lots can be, a headway can be made with sense of humor. So you can, you know, kind of bring it and table it with that person and say, but in a humorous way. So if, if a person has that quality, then you can also be authentic and honest in such difficult situations, yeah. Jeff has the trump card. <laughs> yeah. And I like well, what Jyoti was well, like, or, go ahead, Jeff. Or, or, or not. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> so, you know, just to, just to give it just a, a little bit of perspective, okay? So let, let's let's just approach it from the from the standpoint of a fairly core thing, like knowledge of self. You know, I, I think most of us would admit that's a pretty important thing. You know, to the overall even ability to have a conversation here, right? So I can tell you that to some extent, every single day, but certainly over time. Um, there are things about myself that I thought I knew and that I thought would always be true. There are things about myself that I felt like I didn't really know, you know, but and would be worth exploring. And I was 
and I, and I have come to um, have a great regard for things about myself over time that I didn't know that I didn't know until I encountered situations that I would have never expected. Like, I don't know if you saw the pandemic coming, but I didn't. Um, maybe Bill Gates did, but I didn't. So um, in, in the most fundamental of ways, the, the intellectual humility alone that is required regarding my sense of myself um, and who I believe that I am, you know, and what I know about me, things that I think I don't know about me, and then the emergence of things that I didn't even know I didn't know in response to things happening that I never imagined they were going to happen. Um, and then just to sort of combine that, you know, in a philosophical sense with, I don't know really where, I don't know where I was before coming to earth. I don't know exactly how I got here. I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing here. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going when it's over. I'm not sure where the people who used to be here with me are now. I'm not really sure who the people are coming next, you know, might do. There doesn't seem to be an operating manual for this place or for our relationships with each other. Um, at least one that, you know, that I can either certify or completely um, abide. So given that level of uncertainty and things that seem to be changing, occasionally it seems worthwhile to give ourselves a break and and maybe not take our answers to these things, you know, in an ultimate sense, quite as seriously as we might be tempted to take them. You know, um, in a way, you know, in an ultimate sense, take them as seriously as possible, explore them as authentically and honestly and generously and, uh, and mercifully and, and, uh, and wisely as possible. But just the intellectual humility that is that I think is required based upon the things that we don't know um, might argue for giving ourselves a little bit of slack. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. For now, I'm assuming, <laughs> until you change again and realize and, and, that it's and, about yourself. <laughs> and, 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 until I actually do discover the actual and true provable meaning of life. Yeah. <laughs> That's something really beautiful, what Jeff said now. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It kind of, uh, you know, goes with Keith's negative capability, you know? So uh, Keith's always propagated this, to live with negative capability means to live in doubts and uncertainty, to live with gray areas, in all, to live with all probability. Nothing is absolute. Yeah, and to live with that kind of, feeling and to go along and just feel your way ahead yeah wonderful Jeff yeah thanks for sharing and um we're we're already kind of coming to the hour and we haven't even gotten to our other questions but I think this, this has led perfectly even into the next question which was Anton's question about the paradox of the self and I think we're gonna have plenty of time to explore this I mean we're, we're talking about the evolving self this whole book so I think we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about the paradox of the self but it's interesting how this conversation how, how what's even emerged it is a very clear paradox of the self that's come up here that we've we've all identified certain um, you know values or traits um, or, or core um, 
you know, virtues that that we put at the core of ourselves, but then recognizing that, you know, as much as, you know, these are all good things. And we talked about authenticity and honesty, joy and love, creativity, art, productivity, sense of humor. But we're seeing that, you know, there's pitfalls to all of these, you know, all of these are good things that we should aim for. But if you lean too heavily into all of any of these, it it would have its its negativity. As Jeff pointed out, we need to take things incredibly seriously and also maintain our, our sense of humor. So, so maybe that's even a paradox of self that we can each think about as we get ready for the next session. So just to remind you all, we will be back again two weeks from today, uh, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We're going on to chapter four of this book, The Evolving Self, which is going to be about predators and parasites. Oh, did you have something you wanted to add, Marissa? Just that it's going to be on St. Patrick's Day for those of you who celebrate Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's a connection between predators and parasites and leprechauns. I hope not, <laughs> but uh, maybe we shall find out. Um, and just so you all know, too, there is another 52 Living Ideas meetup right after this one. It's going to be all about uh, Aquinas on the book of John, and it is at a different link. So I'm going to give you all uh, you know, an opportunity to sign off now and get ready for that next meeting. But uh, thank you all. I think you know th- this discussion definitely went in a direction that neither Maritza and I, I think, would have ever anticipated. But I thought that the, the discussion here was really fascinating. Thank you all. Can you put it on the chat, Joy? Can you put the chapter four on chat uh, so that we can read it beforehand, or it's not possible? What do you mean? What chapter? The the book? Um, the book. You know, like you put three, like you put the chapter three on the link. The link, then I can go. Oh, it's not done yet. Oh, we're reading this with you guys. Okay, so so you can put it beforehand. No, we haven't created it yet. So we take two weeks. While you're reading it, we're reading it also, and then we're making a presentation for you. Oh, gotcha. Okay. It's our homework. Thank you all, Janetta. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye, guys. Bye, Joy. Bye, Marisa. Thank you, dear. If not sooner, hopefully. See you soon. (laughs) See you. Yes. Okay. Stop the recording. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues.